Okay, hello everyone. Did you know that this show is called Perhaps It's You? Well, it is, and it's an unofficial Unsolved Mysteries podcast. I'm Liz. And I'm Samantha. And we like to say hi to BD Wong, who's now our official sixth listener, since he commented on our Instagram one time. What a, what a, this show has really had some heights, you know, some unexpected, um, victories i guess i would say oh that's a victory for sure bd wong commenting on your instagram (laughs) so i mean some shows you're like wine and crimes or whatever are like doing big shows to the i think they like quit their day jobs and are just podcasting you know you might say that's success i say bd wong commenting on your instagram true success Everyone measures success differently, and I'm with you, I think. Yes. Last night, I was like, how... I'm not sure I fully appreciated how miraculous it is that we got that shout-out on the Purple Stuff podcast. On my favorite podcast, we got uh, people being told, oh, if you like Unsolved Mysteries, go listen to Perhaps It's You. Like, that's amazing. What an amazing little moment in the story of my life. That's that's success is my point. I think we can count ourselves as a very successful podcast. We are like what the top one point supposedly one point five percent. Yes. Yeah, of all podcasts in the whole world, which I assume is true. Uh is that just because they're not counting Spotify and like they took like Joe Rogan out? Do you think that's do you think there's like some outliers that weren't counted? Yeah, they I don't know. I think also there's just so many podcasts that made like three episodes and then were like, this sucks. <laughs> Never made any more. So I Look, think they're those not are wrong. all they, yeah. Every single day we sit down to record. I'm like, I don't want to do this. I want to talk about this horribly depressing and kind oh. of boring episode of unsolved mysteries no. yeah be prepared to be creeped out and bummed out yet again <laughs> um yeah but yeah we are in the top 1.5 percent of podcasts we were briefly the like 17th top tv podcast in finland don't forget that victory um you know and we have the five so supportive you couldn't ask for better listeners than we have uh, the six. <laughs> oh my god, you're so right. I'm so sorry, BD Wong. Please don't stop listening. Which I'm I know you do. Part of your busy schedule. When he's getting his like when his like aesthetician comes in, you know, to working to, on his, his perfect skin. Yeah, exactly. He's like, okay, now's my perhaps it's you time. I can listen to this while they mm-hmm. while they groom me. You know, he has his like people all buffing his nails and i don't i don't even know he's like getting a massage he's got two masseuses and uh yeah they're working on his skin and he's like okay finally i can finally relax listen to some perhaps it's you in my busy schedule mm-hmm. that's what i assume <laughs> uh, because arden was telling us the other day that supposedly kim kardashian spends it takes her three hours of makeup every day just to like not for an event. That's just for like her life. This is like her going to the gym. <laughs> and I was like, wow, that's really a lot of time. And Mac was like, yeah, but you could probably listen to a lot of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> could go through some audiobooks. Or I was like, I guess. She can't yeah. wear he- she can't wear headphones or we're like working on her hair. So she's right. gotta make everybody else listen to that too. Right. Which I, su- 
I mean, I suppose if you pay people enough, that's all right. What do you think Kim Kardashian listens to? What podcast? Obviously, perhaps it's you. That would be a wild discovery. Hi, Kim. <laughs> uh, that would be wild. I have I have no idea. I I'm not sure any of pretend to guess. Yeah, I I'm not sure any of us really know her like interests, no. despite her being so like almost <laughs> omnipresent. <laughs> Do we actually know the real Kim Kardashian? What's she up to? I have no idea. Uh, apparently, she's, what she's up to is getting her makeup done. Well, yeah. Most of her day. Every day. That is, that is drag queen level. That yeah. is really something. I, yeah, probably listening to Perhaps It's You. She's, she's listening to herself. <laughs> I would be quite surprised, but <laughs> yes. well, welcome. Welcome you to the what? fold, Kim. Yeah. Hi. Can I get some perfume samples? Oh. <laughs> Only samples? A- She's got plenty of them. That's true. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Send over some full bottles, please. <laughs> they're, they're kind of expensive. I don't know if they're good. Let me know. <laughs> oh, we're already off to some weird places, which is good because this episode is such a downer thanks for sticking with us through these episodes <laughs> i feel like we have not gained like any more listeners in a long time we just have the like loyal core six um i mean unless you count bd wong now listens but in general i think we just have the same loyal view and it's i, I swear it's because of stuff like this people are like i'm not listening to this it's depressing <laughs> Not only is it depressing, but they apparently hate this show. <laughs> They're not prepared. Uh, Liz will not stop laughing and making weird pop culture references I do not get. And yeah, it's also depressing as hell. But you know what? It's just part of the journey. Mm-hmm. We have to do every episode, and that includes season six, episode 20. <laughs> is where we are right now do you have any updates before we get started okay i realized it was only two weeks ago but i can't remember if we announced that they're going to be doing more they've confirmed they're gonna do more unsolved mysteries reboot now it's gonna be a while i think was is it march of next year maybe summer sometime sometime next it's a good look it's gonna we've got a way a ways to wait i think there was a little bit of of uh disgruntlement uh people saying that's so far away but uh netflix has confirmed that there's going to be did they say how many episodes is it another no they didn't say they just said it's coming but then they also got really salty and were like and also we're tired of people complaining the mysteries are not solved it's literally in the title (laughs) unsolved mysteries which that was part of their announcement (laughs) on at least on twitter they were like Yes, the show is coming. By the way, do not complain. The mysteries are not solved. It's unsolved mysteries. <laughs> it's in and then, the title. And then people, in as a reply, were still complaining. <laughs> They're like, but I don't want to watch it if the mysteries aren't solved. It's like, well, bitch, maybe this is not the show for you. Go make solved mysteries. I don't know what to tell you. That's called Forensic Files. Yeah, true. Pretty much every single one of those is solved. There's a rare one where forensics exonerate someone, and then you're like, oh, this is not solved. But pretty much every time, that's called Solved Mysteries. <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> uh, the information on there is real out of date. <laughs> You'll love it. 
Um, yeah, yeah. So you gotta have to wait a little bit. They do have the podcast, which has they have. There's an official podcast now. I know it's hard to believe. There's not just us, but um, I haven't actually listened to that. I haven't, but I heard it's good for what that's oh, worth. People seem to like it. They're so. covering new mysteries in that podcast. Yes. So. It's not like us just watching the show and going, what, what the fuck was that? <laughs> That's this. There's um, enough people doing that. They decided they were going to do something. Oh, different. we'll find some new mysteries. Yeah. The other complaints that I saw on Twitter was that there weren't enough paranormal things. I, I don't know. I feel I like they did some. For a six episode season, I don't need more than one. I have to agree. And it, it, Unless it's going to be like real good. It's hard to... You can't have just like a little segment about Ogopogo with a new format. So, no. and, and are the- we going to do like a whole hour on Ogopogo? <laughs> that seems ridiculous. No, and th- the mysteries that I've really liked in the reboot are the ones that are like a murder or a missing person or something that have a lot of twists and turns. That just doesn't really exist with the paranormal ones. I did really like the tsunami ghost mystery. That, is, um, that was phenomenal. If people, I know some people got kind of burned out on the reboot and they were like wow this is just sad and i don't know not not like the old one at all um the tsunami ghost episode is extremely sad but it's also very good it's very well done i would recommend watching yeah that from the reboot whichever number that was you can find it um oh the other thing i wanted to talk about maybe we've talked about this before but this um <laughs> there was an article about how the Loch Ness monster could be a ghost of a dinosaur. And I don't I, think we've talked about this before. We've talked about how Bigfoot could potentially be a ghost. This is on what I assume is um a very reputable source, Higgypop.com. <laughs> Higgypop's paranormal hub. Could the Loch Ness monster be a ghost of a dinosaur? And I have to say, even though I didn't even really read this, is that if Bigfoot is a ghost this makes it just makes sense it honestly it does make sense because if ghosts are a thing why are we so selfish to believe that only humans can be ghosts like there may be dinosaur ghosts all around us okay this is from the article the idea is not a new one in fact the cia questioned the pot the cia everyone questioned the possibility and recently declassified documents detailing experience experiments carried out by an american team of psychic spies oh my god the cia did so much weird shit anyway at some point between 1972 and 84 one of the men involved ed dames apparently used his ample spare time at the unit to perfect the skill of remote viewing in order to exercise his own spiritual and extraterrestrial interests Okay, so he said that he went around the world and he saw the Virgin Mary, Atlantis, he saw flying saucers, oh, and then he saw the Loch Ness Monster, which he claimed was a dinosaur's ghost, I see. Well. Mm -hmm. I mean, could the Loch Ness Monster be cloaking like the Predator? (laughs) Is that going to be your your answer to everything? Like, if a person's just missing, you're like, or cloaking. Could they be cloaking? I mean, explain why we can't see them. Couldn't possibly because it doesn't exist. They're probably cloaking. Yeah, well, I mean... If Bigfoot can cloak, the Loch Ness Monster should be able to. Okay, also, I feel like we should talk about how capybaras have taken over... 
So there's this like rich development outside of Buenos Aires that was a natural habitat for capybaras. And then they built all these fancy homes in it. And then like the capybaras were like, nope, this is where we live. And so they've just like taken it back because they're little adorable anarchists. <laughs> I love them so much. I'm just I'm currently watching this like video of people trying to like go about their lives where there's just capybaras everywhere grazing. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't seem like a problem to me. It seems like actually this would be like a boost to your home. You're you like, not only so. do I have this nice home, but it's surrounded by capybaras. I did see, I didn't read the article, but I saw a headline from an article that said that they were like running amok and destroying property and biting people. Oh. <laughs> okay. The Guardian has an article called Attack of the Giant Rodents or Class War. <laughs> Argentina's rich riled by new neighbors. Hordes new of- na- they are the new neighbors. Yeah, really. Guardian. Guardian, get it straight. Hordes of capybaras have taken up residence at a gated community, starting a b- debate on the environment and inequality. And then the picture is just like a capybara looking real mad. <laughs> so funny. So apparently good, this good is is at Nord Delta. Argentina's most well-known gated community. But yeah, now it's been invaded by capybaras who have destroyed manicured lawns, bitten dogs, and caused traffic accidents. <laughs> uh, why am I bringing this up? Well, if you're not a long-term listener of the show, you might not know that our eventual goal, the true sign of success, is when we open the Perhaps It's You Capybara Ranch. Mm-hmm. We're going to um, have hot tubs full of capybaras with little oranges <laughs> floating in them. It's going to be amazing, but we're going to need some more podcast <laughs> to make that happen. So I'm just bringing you the latest in capybara news. They're such amazing animals. Should we turn that gated community into a capybara ranch, bulldoze all the houses, turn them into giant hot tubs, and just give, mean, give it back to the capybaras? I think maybe just even just open the doors of the houses and see if the capybaras want to live in them. Well, they probably do. I bet there's hot tubs in there somewhere. <laughs> It's like, do you want some shelter? Here you go, capybaras. Okay, yeah, I'm going to read that tweet from uh, Unsolved Mysteries. So it says, Unsolved Mysteries Volume 3 will premiere summer 2022. And a friendly reminder, since I see so many of you getting frustrated every season, none of the cases will be solved by the episode's end, as the show is, once again, titled (laughs) Unsolved Mysteries. So salty. They're so mad at people. I love it so much. And then there's just people being like, but what about this? But what why 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 do we not know what happened to Ray Rivera? It's like, well, again. Because it's unsolved. You know that it's not a friendly reminder when someone says friendly reminder. Yeah. And also to go once like with a dash dash once again dash (laughs) titled unsolved mysteries oh my god so so good um i think that's i think that might be all of my updates we can't put off talking about this episode longer i know should we just go on a rant about joe rogan eating horse paste (laughs) i mean he might sue us so better keep that to myself do you think he ate it in the actual paste form? That's kind of my question, I guess. 
I want to believe that he did, but I feel like he probably has access to like the human version. Yeah, or he he has like a private doctor that he will prescribe whatever he wants. I assume he doesn't have to like go to farm and flee and get the paste and then like guess how much paste he should eat for his body mass. Mix it with some peanut butter and put it on <laughs> toast or whatever people are doing with it. Yeah. Oh my god! Look, y'all, this country. <laughs> It's a real mess. I don't know what to tell you. I feel like everyone that complained about my lack of patriotism moved on a long time ago. So I'm just reestablishing. We might everyone not be who's still here under I think understand. We're all on the same page. We may not be getting like bitten by capybaras, which would be a huge improvement, honestly. Okay. We can talk about the episode now, I guess. I wrote down some possible titles for us to call this episode from okay. your first treasure segment. Oh. One of them, one of them is oddly enough, Lulu. That's something that Robert Stack says. <laughs> oddly enough, Lulu. He also at some point says something of a criminal prodigy. Robert Stack. I don't know if they got a new writer for this episode or what, but Robert Stack has some very flowery language to talk about this treasure mystery. Yeah, he's on point. He does a good job for this. I think he also just kind of like loves the treasure ones because he's an old man. I think that's true because he opens the segment by saying, like most tales of treasure, this one comes with the usual wet blanket disclaimer, but let's face it, we love these stories. <laughs> love it so much yeah he's like look this is not real but let's pretend it is because it's fun it's in, in, unlike when he's talking about a ghost where he's just like look this isn't real who cares <laughs> so admittedly i didn't take very good notes on this segment and so instead i have like a mishmash of different sources this uh -huh, is a, uh -huh. it's a treasure mystery it's like a gangster treasure mystery i could yeah, not be less man. interested in this story same i was real checked out look gender is not real but do i care about a mob story ever no never no you like Nothing is more disappointing to me than when, like, a Batman story or something that I think I'm going to be interested in turns out to be, like, about the mob, actually. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I don't care about this. Yeah. And I was really excited because I saw it. So not ev so every case, you can look up every case on unsolved.com, but not every case has a recap of the segment. Mm-hmm. But when they do, it's usually extremely detailed, like word for word, the segment, basically. Not this one, for some reason. Unsolved.com profile, like, actually has the summary of this segment on their website, but it's, like, very abbreviated. So I don't know. The person who was writing this feels the same as us, I think. They also so, were, they were like, this is not interesting. I'm totally checked out. I'm actually looking at my phone. I'm actually texting Samantha, like, oh, you go first this week. <laughs> this segment started i'm sitting on my couch i'm like god damn it i have to take notes on a roaring 20s treasure but then i i, I googled it and saw that it was on unsolved.com said great i'm not gonna do shit i'm just gonna watch it and then i pulled it up right before we were recording and i'm like well this, there's not a lot here so <laughs> <laughs> i love it no Whoops. You, did, you did a great job good for you 
things. Um, so this is the Dutch Schultz treasure. Dutch Schultz. Okay, um, that sounds made up just from that, doesn't it? Well, the Dutch it, Schultz treasure. Okay, would you real. rather go by Dutch Schultz or Arthur Flegenheimer? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was this guy's real name. Wait, which which one goes by the nickname? Oddly enough, Lulu. That was his bodyguard i don't know lulu's real name i would rather go by lulu well yeah but that's not your choice your choice your choices are dutch schultz <laughs> or arthur flegenheimer i guess dutch schultz you can't be a prohibition era gangster kingpin and go by arthur flegenheimer no that's why they all have nicknames like Babyface and stuff right dutch schultz which apparently comes from like some gangster before I don't okay. know. There, there was like a, a story behind Dutch. I don't really. I don't care. No one. I don't care. So uh, <laughs> you're as you're as salty as unsolved mysteries Twitter right now. So I don't, Samantha, report from Samantha checking in. I don't know, and I don't care. <laughs> Thanks, Samantha. Thanks, we'll get back to you. Letter. Yeah. <laughs> the weather this weekend. Oh my god, what if we were like local news correspondents? Do you think we could somehow parlay this gig into that? That would be so funny. I'm thinking we can't, but that would be funny. We've said too many things that would offend too many people. We would never get that job. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're right. I should have thought of this goal sooner. <laughs> so he was born in 1902 to German Jewish parents in the Lower East Side of New York City. Uh, like a lot of immigrant families, Dutch's family was very poor. His life in crime began um, when he joined a youth gang where he was forcing bar owners to choose between buying the beer he sold or violence. <laughs> he became known as the beer baron of the Bronx. So, <laughs> wait, you have to buy beer? Are you like, get beat up? I assume that's how it went. This. What what if you just don't want any beer? Like me, always. He was was going up to random people on the street. He was going up to bar owners. Presumably they needed beer. Okay, fair enough. He wasn't just like hilarious if someone came up to you. Buy a beer or I'm going to deck you. Or whatever they said in the 20s. And I'm like, but I don't like beer. And then I get punched in the face. Don't you have any any wine or mead? And they're like, no. I'm guessing going around and forcing random people to buy one beer was probably not super <laughs> profitable. I'm sure this was a, a bulk situation, but says you. I don't. You don't become the beer baron of the Bronx by I don't know intimidating yeah, well, me into buying one beer. What do you know? You'll never be a beer baron. Well, that's very true. So uh, Prohibition went into effect in the United States on January 17th, 1920, and almost immediately organized crime began uh, kind of, they describe it as taking over New York City. Uh, Bootlegging was very profitable. Schultz set up a commercial bootlegging operation um, in the Catskill Mountains uh, uh, away from New York City's uh droves of prohibition officers um and we i don't uh, remember who the experts were there's a few of them uh but they say that he did all the like the standard organized crime things he did protection rackets um uh bootlegging all of that kind of stuff and kind of 
he became known as like one of the big gangster kingpins in New York City. Um, so he, like many depression era, uh, um, people of his time didn't trust banks to keep his wealth. And so instead he kept like all of his money hidden in a strong box that Mm -hmm. he is believed, this is where the treasure mystery comes in, to have buried somewhere in upstate New York. Um, Items believed to have been in this box include diamonds, gold coins, gold-backed $1,000 bills, and uncashed World War I Liberty bonds, collectively estimated to be worth anywhere between $50 and $150 million in today's money. Sweet. Let's go get it. So, well, it might not be there anymore. So, uh, Dutch Schultz, um, while on his deathbed in 1935, rambled incoherently about a $7 million fortune that he had buried in upstate New York. Um, again, today, his treasure is said to be worth more than $50 million. Gangsters like Lucky Luciano, Al Capone, and Dutch Schultz made millions illegally manufacturing and distributing bootlegged liquor. Um, He was a bit of a criminal prodigy. He was basically into organized crime before he was 25 years old. Oh, yeah, this is Jack French, who's a special agent in the FBI. That's Um, a fake name, too. Jack French? That that doesn't sound real. That sounds way made up. A little like a... A special agent from like like a not a very good crime yeah. uh, novel. It sounds like some sort of James Bond ripoff, Jack French. So he or like Tom Clancy would write. Right. <laughs> There's Jack Ryan, French but then the, agent. the Jack the Jack Ryan of France is called Jack French. I I feel like anyone by the I never think that Jack is like a name that people actually have. It always to me is like some sort of nickname or fake name but i think there are jacks running around there are jacks out there but it's definitely more of a like yeah tv name i think in my brain it is so in addition to bootlegging he owned a string of speakeasies he branched out into narcotics the numbers and protection rackets um they describe his, him as an extremely dangerous gangster he was reported to have had 136 people killed um and that's over a criminal career that lasted less than 10 years that is a lot yeah and in fact so they described like he had moved into like a different area of new york near the end of his life and he was killing so many people that other crime bosses were like this get this guy out of here he's <laughs> he's killing too many people they're gonna he's gonna bring some heat into this area that we don't need so that's when you know you're <laughs> you're a really yeah. bad guy if other crime bosses are like this guy's killing too many people it's like, it's getting harder and harder to bribe people to look the other way because he's killed, like, half of a town at this point. Yeah. He's going to anger the wrong person. It's, yeah. Yeah. So, by the end of the Roaring Twenties, Dutch Schultz's criminal en- empire was making more than $20 million a year. But like Al Capone before him, Schultz was highly vulnerable to the new and newly enacted federal income tax law. Um, and he was indicted by a grand jury for income tax evasion, which resulted in him immediately taking steps to protect his money. This is what precipitated him burying all his money in the ground. So uh, Thomas Terry, I think is the other expert. He is an author of several books on buried treasure. Thomas, I don't know, wouldn't be my career choice, but. <laughs> Maybe. That's Writing what you're going to do in retirement. Buried treasure. Mm-hmm. 
So he says at the time, Schultz was facing a long prison sentence and decided that he needed a nest egg to fall back on in case he was sent to prison. So he had his top lieutenants clean out his safety deposit boxes and gather together whatever cash they could from his available bank accounts. At a hideaway in Connecticut, Dutch and his henchmen, this is Lulu Rosencrantz. Krantz. Lulu oddly enough went by Lulu. <laughs> Robert Zach thinks that that name is very odd. And another man named Marty Crompier. Uh, I'm not sure that I pronounced his name right, but they uh, packaged the bundles of $1,000 bills, uh, various Liberty Bonds, the gold coins and diamonds and other gems, um, into a steel-plated strongbox. Um, Dutch, Dutch Schultz had the only key to the box. That night, Dutch and Lulu traveled to um, an area just outside of New York. It was a town that Dutch knew from his bootlegging days. Dutch swore Lulu to secrecy and then supposedly marked the site by carving an X into a, a trunk of a nearby tree. However, and this is Robert <laughs> Stick's word. What a foolproof plan. What a f- God, that's hard to say. What a foolproof plan just to carve an X in a tree. Liz, X marks the spot. No, that's, I get it. I get how, it. You, you put an axe <laughs> on the buried treasure. But trees, trees grow. Trees get cut down. That what made I wondered about that too. Like you're really gonna trust? I guess he, I don't think he was planning on keeping it there forever. I think sure, he was like, sure. well, if I go to prison for five years, then I can come out and get my strong box full of money. So maybe this wasn't like a long term <laughs> uh, solution. This axe in a tree. Because yeah, I was like, well, what if they cut that tree down? But what if it falls over in a storm? I right. don't know. So Robert Stack tells us that Lulu couldn't keep his mouth shut. Oh, Lulu. Typical Lulu. <laughs> he told... So only Lulu... So Dutch basically didn't trust anyone except this Lulu guy. And so he, which, which he, he surely should trust. Have. Yeah. But he brought him to burying his... Like where they were going to bury this treasure. And then Lulu almost immediately started telling people. He told his friend, Marty Crompier where the treasure was buried um and some, some people say he even drew him a map <laughs> <laughs> no for real this is where it is so he really couldn't keep his mouth shut and then marty was blabbed all over the place too so and uh, he blabbed to like this woman who had they robert Stack describes her as a, a blonde who's in a bar presumably he's trying to impress her or something he's like yeah uh the dutchman is gonna gonna take care of me which why he thought that i don't know because he dutch Schultz didn't even tell him but that's what he was telling this lady he was just trying to he was just trying to impress her i have to say i loved this outfit this is like yeah. a red vintage dress rhinestone collar she's got a poodle bang i'm i'm into this look yeah it was very 20s. So once they started blabbing, rumors of this secret treasure filtered through in New York. Um, but at this point, Dutch had other problems. So uh, famous Manhattan district attorney Thomas E. Dewey was determined to further his political career by bringing Dutch to justice and taking down his illegal crime empire. This is the same Dewey that ran against Truman. And you've probably seen that photo of Truman holding up that Dewey beats Truman newspaper. But Truman really won, so yep. suck it, Dewey. <laughs> Dewey. Dewey. <laughs> A guy I know like nothing about. <laughs> oh, Dewey. 
So with pressure building, because it seems like Dewey was like hot on his heels, Schultz uh, finally surrendered to authorities in Albany, New York. His first trial ended in a hung jury, and his second trial he was acquitted of all charges for lack of evidence. But some suspected jury tampering. And I think the way Robert's deck described it is he like went off and was like free to jury tamper all he wanted. <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, probably was true. Because at this point, he was killing tons of people. And I'm sure that was just doing, that was partially, if not entirely, to intimidate people. I mean, I think corruption was, like, pretty rampant at this time. So, yeah, it's not really surprising at all. Right. So after his acquittal, Dutch moved his headquarters to a tavern he owned in Newark, New Jersey, called the Palace Chop House. He was determined to- That is really a combination of phrases you don't- or words you don't hear a lot. No. Palace and Chop House. <laughs> Love it. So he was determined to regain control of his empire, and he began a bloody killing spree. According to former FBI special agent, this is Jack French again, uh, his killing spree angered the powerful New York crime, sim- crime syndicate. You can't, uh, you can't just go around killing everybody. There's, a, there's an order. There's a way of doing things. Right. And this was, so they were worried because Dewey was still after this guy and they were worried that he was going to come after him for all these killings. And then that was going to put heat on their crime syndicates. So it wasn't a good plan. Um, the syndicate took measures to, according to Robert Sack, turn down the heat. On the night of October 23rd, 1935, uh, we see we have this scene where um, Schultz and Lulu and his other henchmen are in the chop house. And basically, because they're doing all this killing, like there was, they keep describing it as heat. There was. Uh, investigators on their on their trail thomas dewey was like this probably like this is how i'm gonna get him because he's doing all this killing and dutch is is kind of just going off saying that he was gonna try and buy off dewey and his henchmen are like that's a really bad idea dewey can't be bought like that's not gonna work and then uh schultz is like well then i'm gonna bump him off (laughs) if i can't pay him off i'm gonna bump him off and they're like you really can't kill this guy like he's too well known that's not a good idea people will actually look into it you can't just kill literally anyone Right. So he gets mad, goes to the men's room of the chop house. And at that moment, these two hitmen and I forget what their names were. One of them was Emmanuel Weiss, uh, also known as Mendy Weiss. I don't know. I don't know if you're going to listeners, if you recognize these names, I don't. But these two hitmen come in and they shoot up the place, kill everybody. Um, They go to the restroom where they shoot Schultz. Um, he was taken alive to the hospital. Um, this is where he gave like a rambling deathbed confession that made very little sense. Um, he apparently talked about the treasure on his deathbed, but the police who were taking his statement were just thought it was like the ramblings of a dying man. Um, he ended up dying at 835 on October 24th, 1935. Um, that was about 22 hours after he had been shot. He was 33 years old. Wow. Um, Lulu died hours earlier. So that only left one man who knew where the treasure, allegedly knew where the treasure was buried. That was Marty Crompier. But according to Thomas Carey, um, he was he never recovered Dutch's treasure because at this point there were so many rumors about the treasure that he was 
apparently visited by some henchmen from another crime syndicate and they gunned him down and allegedly took this map um crompier survived the attack but was never able to locate the treasure without his map um because he couldn't find one tree with an x on it right uh so they the two experts that are in the segment disagree about whether or not the treasure is still there um one of them say that it was probably it was probably gone at this point and the other one said that it's probably it probably wasn't recovered because the liberty bonds were never cashed so that was Mm. his evidence to suggest that the treasure may still be out there um so let's just forge those liberty bonds we we could try that (laughs) we found the dutchman's treasure yeah yeah that's it that's my solution okay i thought you were gonna have like five sentences to say about that segment and then you had a very thorough summary i don't know why you put yourself down before it that was that was better than many of ours have been (laughs) well i uh maybe i overcompensated for the fact that i did zero prep work going coming into this you with my lowered expectations you really blew me away great job let's just quick see if there's any uh update on the unsolved mysteries wiki okay uh so it is unresolved however in his book nick the greek king of the gamblers by cy rice legendary Uh uh gambler nick the greek said that before his death dutch schultz gave him a briefcase for safekeeping after schultz's death nick the greek opened the briefcase and found that it contained five million dollars in one thousand and ten thousand dollar bills nice briefcase Um, yeah according to nick he used this money to replenish his bankroll and gambled the rest of it away it could be possible that dutch had liquidated the treasure and gave it to nick for safekeeping since he couldn't trust most of the men under him no so i mean that guy just gambled it away but i guess he was already dead yeah i think he gambled it away after he died so to be fair but Hmm. well you did a very good job with that segment i paid very little attention to (laughs) Well, now it's over. We don't have to ever talk about it again. (laughs) Well, we're moving on to a wanted. And I really want this to be fun because there's a lot of like, wow, remember computers? There's a lot of like... (laughs) This one seemed fun until the end. Yeah, it's really not. And then it became extremely unfun. It opens with Robert Stack standing by two, like a clip of a classified ad that's blown up really big. And he tells you that in today's high tech marketplace, this is up like high tech of 1992. So you can can smirk about it. Uh, More and more people are using the classifieds ads to buy and sell computers. Then this idea is clearly like blowing Robert Stack's mind. Um. Specifically, we're talking about a case in September of 92, a music video company in Nashville put two ads in a local trade publication hoping to sell a top-of-the-line computer system valued at $30,000. Was that $30,000 in then money? Yes. Wow. For a computer, because it's 92. I'm holding more processing power in my hand right now. Yeah. The phone that you got when you, like, signed your life away to your uh, cell phone provider has more processing power than this $30,000 Apple desktop. But anyway, on September 7, 1992, a man called about these classified ads, identifying himself as Tom Johnson. 
and saying that he was a freelance programmer and consultant, so he needed something with a lot of processing power. A few days later, he met with Jeremy from the company. We never learned Jeremy's last name, and he's shown in shadow. Um, I think he... I'm guessing he just feels real bad about how this went. So they agreed on a price of $31,000 for the computer. So-called Tom asked that the computers be, and it's, I'm a little confused if this is more one computer or more than one computer. I feel like they sort of go back and forth. I don't know, whatever. It doesn't really matter. He asked that it be delivered to his office in Marinette, Georgia. So Jeremy drove the fucking five hours I was like, "You're bo- come pick it up yourself." But <laughs> no I guess, and I guess if you're spending thirty one thousand dollars, you expect free shipping. So Jeremy was going to drive these five hours to drop it off, and he decided to have his fiance come with him. I think he is like over explaining why she was there. Like he had, he's going like after he's been up from work all day. I'm not quite sure why he's the one that drove then, but um, he'd been awake for thirty hours. Yeah. Is that he, safe? No, he had been up like for a full day's work and then is like, okay, now it's time to drive to Georgia and drop off this computer. So he had his fiance Heather come with him. And also it was going to be like a little trip for them. So after driving literally all night, they are meeting Tom at his motel, which originally they were going to meet in an industrial park. But then the, then Tom was like, oh no, it's too easy to get lost. You should just come to my motel. And Jeremy was like, that makes a lot of sense because I had spent a lot of time being lost in industrial parks trying to find things with unposted addresses. So I was like, great, this sounds way easier. Let's just come to your motel. I'm going to drive straight there. He got there at 730 in the morning. I have so some what- questions about Jeremy frequently getting lost in industrial parks, but you know what? Like, it's not for us to ask. <laughs> so um, when they arrived there a little bit early and Tom said that his business partner would be along shortly with the certified check. So Jeremy and his fiance Heather left to go get breakfast, and they come back half an hour later. Nothing about this seems weird. Tom is very friendly. He knows a lot about computers. They're just, like, chatting for a while. Um, so they're making small talk when they get back to the hotel room for, like, 20 minutes. And then eventually Jeremy's like, I have been up for 30 hours. If we could just, like... Oh, oh, okay. I, I skipped over a part. So they get back from breakfast... This Tom Johnson guy's like, while we're waiting, why don't we just go ahead and move the computer into my car? <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I, look, this is like pre-Craigslist. This is a pre-Facebook marketplace. I think people are a little more trusting. <laughs> $30,000? Look, I don't know, man. He seemed... Look, Jeremy is real tired. Let's give... <laughs> oh, that's, that's true. He's like, let's just move it into my car. And he's like, whatever. So they do... Then they're just talking for like 20 minutes. And Jeremy's like, look, I need to fucking sleep. If we could wrap this deal up, that would be great. Except I'm sure he said it way more polite than that. At that <laughs> well, point. He's lounging on the motel bed. Yeah, he's like lounging on the bed talking about like computers have changed every aspect of our lives. And it's 1992. Like, Jeremy, you have no idea. But um, yeah, he's like, okay, I really just like need to get some sleep. Where's your business partner? Where's this check? Like, we need to wrap this up. At which point, Tom pulls a gun on him. Which, okay. And told him to take, <laughs> he told Jeremy to take off his money belt, which was just like a fanny pack <laughs> he was wearing, according to the reenactment, which he was the one supposed to get money, whatever, and that he was supposed to get on his knees. 
Heather was told to take a sheet off of the bed and lay it on the floor. There was like one for Jeremy and one for her. And then they were supposed to roll themselves up in the sheets. Like it would like constrain them. Uh, That's like a child's idea of something that would trap you. I don't really understand. Obviously, you can get out of a sheet you wrapped yourself in. Mm -hmm. So they're both wrapped up on these sheets on the floor. And he comes over and he hits Jeremy on the head. I think he was trying to knock him out, but it like didn't work. And then he goes and he hits Heather on the head and obviously she screams. So he keeps hitting her on the head. And With then a hammer. Did we say that? Oh. And that was With actually a hammer. This is that was not revealed at this point in the oh. unsolved well, you mystery see it thing. In the, you see it. Yeah. In the- I don't think Jeremy knew what he was hit with because also he had just been hit in the head. Yeah. So he's like, yeah, he hit us. And then Heather was screaming. And then I told Heather she needed to stop screaming because he was going to keep hitting her. So then he comes back and hits him again. Yeah. And this is in the head with a hammer. And then eventually he hits Heather a bunch more times. Oh, my God. And then leaves. So Jeremy, okay, because he's just wrapped up in a sheet, immediately gets up, goes to Heather, and then calls for help sadly oh also and as this tom guy is leaving the room he like wipes down for fingerprints as he's like backing out he clearly had planned this yeah so um sadly at the hospital two hours later heather died from massive skull injuries the murder weapon was this brand new hammer that still had the tags attached and had just been wrapped in a plastic bag but because the police are absolutely useless they couldn't figure out what store it was from I don't know why, but that really annoyed me. Okay. Strangely, about an... Okay, so now we have a little bit of a twist, or perhaps this is just a coincidence, but about an hour before the attack, an unknown woman went to the desk at the motel and complained about a disturbance in Tom's room. At this time, Jeremy and Heather were eating breakfast. So this is before they would have been attacked. And this woman was like, there's all this shouting and arguing in Tom's room. You should really do something. And the person at the desk of the motel was like, listen, lady, this sounds like a domestic thing. And we try not to get involved. Um, but for some reason, this woman was like trying to get the motel to like go to that room or be aware of that room. Um, so the police suspect that this must have might have been an accomplice who was trying to sabotage this robbery rather than hurt people. Like she found out people were going to get hurt and was like, actually, I don't want to steal this computer. Never mind. Yeah. Like maybe she saw the hammer wrapped in plastic and was like, this is something I don't want to be involved. Wait a in. minute. It also was like, I don't get the hammer part at all. It's so unnecessary. He had well, he a could gun. have shot the, the investigator says, I don't know why he didn't just shoot them or why? not or just leave. These are With- two nerds. Right. What are they going to do? What are they? Were they were going to overpower him? No, they were going to lie down on the floor and wrapped in sheets because the guy with a gun told them to. Yeah, I guess they didn't want a- you didn't want witnesses or something? I guess. It's real f- sad. Going into this planning to beat... Cl- he'd wrap, he bought a new hammer and wrapped it in plastic. He was clearly planning on beating them with a hammer. I know, but why? What a horrible thing. T- yeah. Okay. So we don't really know if that woman was, was an accomplice or not, but it does seem suspicious. And um, so Unsolved Mysteries was... Was asking, has anyone seen this Tom Johnson guy? Here's the sketch of him. He just looks like some bland white dude. Has anyone seen this woman that was at the motel? Like, was anybody at the motel and heard anything? I did find it funny that 
this Tom Johnson guy was last seen wearing an expensive pair of boots made of snake or alligator skin. And we're told that Tom Johnson is a riddle and that he could very well be your friend or coworker and you wouldn't even know he was this violent weirdo. So that's the end of the segment. Unfortunately, when I looked it up on Unsolved Mysteries Wiki, I found out that it gets even more depressing. Um, so here are the results. Um, Jeremy and Heather's family later created the Heather Uffelman Memorial Scholarship in her honor. Tragically, Jeremy was killed in a car accident in South Africa on March 31st, 1997. Ugh. He was hit head on by a driver who had apparently fallen asleep at the wheel. He was only 27 years old. Ugh. The identity This of- is the Unsolved Mysteries curse. Yeah. Mike and Josh at Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries warned us about this, that you will look up people from Unsolved Mysteries who very well should be alive. They weren't that old when this aired, right? But they're all dead. And this is another example of that. Um, so we don't know who Heather's killer is for sure, but there is a likely suspect. Public opinion has suggested that it was a man named Tom Steeples, a computer company owner from Nashville, and that he might have been the killer. He had committed a similar double murder in a motel room in April in 1994 eerily similar to the attack on jeremy and heather in that case he lured a young couple named rob and kylie phillips to a motel with the promise of a record deal and beat them to death as well he also murdered ronald bingham a business partner and nashville bar owner in october 1993 going around killing people i guess along with that he'd also beat and sexually assaulted a young woman several years before it has been noted that Steeples closely resembles the composite of Tom Johnson and matches the physical description. Also, the car Johnson was driving had Tennessee license plates. Steeples was from Tennessee originally. However, yeah, he died like of a drug overdose while in prison, July 1994. So this guy and- just liked killing people and he had a computer business, so he needed a computer. That's I why guess. this hammer thing came into place, into play. Yes, that's so sad. And this is horrible. Steve, because I wish we could laugh at this part at the end where Robert Stack is standing by the same model of the computer and is like, maybe you've seen the computer. And it's just like a 90s desktop computer. I don't. I guess maybe there weren't that many of them because it's like top of the line or he was whatever. Like, maybe but- you bought this computer from Tom. And it's like a third, apparently $30,000 computer. How many... <laughs> Some mysteries viewers yeah. just bought like oh yeah a thirty thousand dollar I bought a thirty thousand dollar computer I yeah I because because this computer was being used to edit music videos so it was like you know a lot of processing power for the time and I most people were not doing something that would require that because you know there was no internet <laughs> most people were using a computer to like I don't know write their erotic fan fiction or something um. I'm not even really sure. Yeah. Yeah, so sad. Mm. And there's a picture of Tom Stevens and he has a mustache, but he's a dirtbag. Also, he has he's has horrible eyes that are staring. I'm closing this right now. It's terrifying. Okay, so that's that case. It's real sad. There's more information about it, but you know what? I hate everything. You can go visit Heather on Find a Grave. Ugh. Ugh. Well, this next one's not going to cheer you up. No, it's not. 
and it's a lie. And I'm yeah. mad about it. Liz is mad, and I'm mad too because this segment they call a lost love. This is not a fucking lost love, man. It's not, it's not a lost o- love. It's not okay. It's I'm a missing person. I thought after this sad story about Jeremy and Heather that I was going to get a little pick me up of some people being reunited. And no. No. no, instead it's a missing kid. And Mac was like, yeah, but they loved that kid. And I was like, that's not what a lost love is. That's not the point. The people in the missing person cases were loved as well. This is a missing person. Or a wanted or something else. Yeah, not a lost love. So they should have had an unsolved mystery segments that were just called huge bummer or (laughs) um, depressing AF. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Okay, so we're looking for Lauren Jackson. So on October 4th, 1988, five year old Lauren Jackson, her mother, Cynthia O'Donnell, and Lauren's sister went out for dinner on what seemed like a normal day when they returned home lauren went outside their apartment to play with a neighbor uh, a friend of hers named brian uh christina her mom went inside for a few minutes but when she returned both lauren and brian were gone she went to brian's apartment but no one was home she soon learned that brian and his mother had gone to the mall and left lauren alone outside lovely an extensive and though the guilt of that is gonna haunt them forever well and it, it sounded like they weren't like uh christina lauren uh, lauren's mom wasn't like trusting watching her yeah, yeah they just happened to be playing outside as well yeah. yeah she wasn't like trusting the neighbor to babysit like she was there she just ran inside and then she came back out so they probably rightly so thought that well her mom's gonna be back in five minutes um we can get out of here so um, there was an extensive search of the area, bloodhounds, helicopters, lots of volunteers. They apparently searched 19 different ponds in like a two day oh period, uh, but no trace of Lauren was ever found. The next morning, investigators again used bloodhounds and a professional tracker to follow Lauren's scent. And they determined that she had either wandered or been dragged to Route 724, which was a quarter mile from her home. Hmm. At this point, an 11-year-old girl came forward claiming that she had seen Lauren in that area being abducted by a stranger. Um, Apparently, a man had grabbed her and put her in a car and drove off. However, a few months later, another witness came forward claiming that she saw Christina give her daughter to a different family. So at the beginning of this segment, Robert Stack sets it up by saying that uh, Christina, Lauren's mom, was going through this nightmare and then didn't even realize that she would soon be pegged as a suspect. And this mostly seems to stem from the fact that Christina had some substance abuse issues. Mm. Um, And there was a brewing custody battle between Christina and her. uh, They were never married, but Lauren's father, they were together when Lauren was born. Then they split up. And due to Christina's substance abuse issues, Lauren's father was threatening to sue for custody. So that seemed to have been like coming up and so now there because this witness came forward there's this like okay well, but did, where did she, was he when she went missing he lived i forget where he lived but he didn't live in the same town okay so 
Wait, you can't drive a car? Well, so the investigators that are interviewed for Unsolved Mysteries say that everyone was a suspect, that Lauren's father was a suspect and he was questioned and he was apparently very offended at being questioned. But he, the investigator was basically like, well, everybody's a suspect and including the parents. So, um, yes, Lauren's mother was a suspect and yes, her father was also a suspect. So I think they didn't say why they ruled him out. He must have had an alibi. He lived in a different town. So if he was in a different town okay. and people could people could account for his whereabouts then he's not responsible um so uh where was i so yeah so this woman comes forward claiming that she was at a mall parking lot and saw christina give her daughter to a different family that doesn't even make sense she didn't she thought she saw this but she didn't do anything about it at the time no so nothing about this makes sense so the witness allegedly saw christina giving a child to an elderly couple in the parking lot of the james way mall around 7 p.m on october 4th christina maintains that she had nothing to do with her daughter's disappearance and in fact witnesses at the apartment building say that they saw uh lauren and brian playing outside as late as 7 15 brian's mom knows that that kid was there before they went to the mall right and other people in the apartment like actually know lauren (laughs) so like this witness just saw some woman handing over her child to an elderly couple that could have been her some other person and their grand like a kid giving their kid to the grandparents to spend the weekend with like this could be easily explained as something completely benign this woman was acting like i saw her being sold in a mall parking lot obviously i did nothing at the time but i was like no you saw a kid like interact with an adult Christina is interviewed by Unsolved Mysteries and says I don't know what this woman saw she might just be someone who likes to call the police yep (laughs) I also I I mean we've said before and we'll say it again but eyewitness testimony is just not what you want it to be like she doesn't know Lauren she's never seen her before right like no this is just like oh yeah that's the woman I saw like is it is your memory really that good because it's probably not no also you just saw a woman hand a kid to an elderly couple in a parking lot this could be suspicious suspicious (laughs) i saw grandparents i saw a child and the police are like okay and the child was at the mall Uh and other adults were there got it got where's the part where there's like a crime lady Oh, my God. Well, the, unfortunately, the police take this seriously and take this witness to they like drive her to somewhere where Lauren is across the street and they say, is that the woman you saw? And she goes, yeah, that's the woman I saw. <sighs> I sort of feel like this was probably the talk of the town. And this is just my personal theory. But I feel like this woman was like, I want to insert myself in the I want to be part of the drama. Yeah. I believe that she saw what she says she saw. I think she just decided. Yeah, she saw a child and elderly people. She Yeah, <laughs> she just decided that I'm sure, like, and Lauren says, or Christina says this, that I, it was in the news. She probably saw me in the newspaper, right. on TV, like, oh, whatever. that woman looks familiar. It's like, yeah, no shit. And this woman says, this woman remembers seeing that exchange in the parking lot and because she was probably a nosy bitch, had been watching and like, ooh, I want if this is something nefarious and then she puts it together in her brain um anyway there apparently this did go uh christina was brought like her case was brought to a grand jury but they declined to indict her thank, thank god Christ, yeah 
Um, because there's no absolutely zero evidence <laughs> that she had anything to do with her daughter's disappearance, and there's conflicting witness testimony. So, like, there's no way. Hopefully, there would be there would be no way that she would get convicted at a trial, and it seems like the grand jury thought that. So, that is good. However, um, um, so fortunately, uh, I, I mean, unfortunately, uh, Christina had to go through that, but fortunately, uh, that wasn't ever she wasn't ever prosecuted. Lauren's father, whose name was I forgot this. His name was Mickey Jackson. Again, that's not real. <laughs> Oh, oh, I had another important update that I wanted to bring to the attention of the five. This comes from friend of the pod, Arden. She's been on the show a few times. She apparently is in some, like, baby name group on Facebook where people share, like, ridiculous names that they are aware of. Like, oh, my sister-in-law is naming their kid Mickey Johnson. I don't know. (laughs) But... But the reason that I bring it up is because apparently more than one person has recently named their kid Arson. (laughs) That's very close to Marson. I feel like I may have called a new... I think we're like two years away from Marson actually being a baby name. Because people (laughs) are going to smush, I don't know, Margaret and Arson together. (laughs) Apparently people are naming their babies Felon. Look, I don't know. I don't know about that. But if you know someone that names their kid Arson or Marson... I want to hear about it. Oh, definitely Marson, because we called that. <laughs> so that's perhaps it's you podcast at gmail.com. If you see an announcement for little baby Marson, murder arson, <laughs> a word I accidentally said, but maybe the name of your new nephew. Well, maybe. I don't know. So Mickey Jackson is convinced that Christina was involved. He said he would bet his life on it. And he just doesn't like his ex. I don't know. Yeah, that's That's just evidence, Mickey. He was like, I think that she did it to get back at me and also was just overwhelmed by having a kid. And I was like, you're just bitter. Yeah. Yeah, that's not evidence. So, however, no evidence supports this theory. So (laughs) (laughs) it was definitely this. And the show was like, "Mm, I don't think so. Yeah. So I am sorry to say that this is unsolved. Um, If Lauren was still alive today, she would be in her 30s, but she's never been found. There is an age progress photo um, that they show in Unsolved Mysteries. Um, Unfortunately, Christina O'Donnell passed away in 2011. Ah! And there's been no further clues leading to any leads in her daughter's disappearance um it in solve mysteries wiki says that uh father mickey and uh lauren's siblings are still searching for her so wow well thanks samantha i hate it <laughs> me too that back to you liz all right uh, <laughs> is this one wow. gonna cheer us up no it sure oh. is not it's an unexplained death this would have been a lovely moment for like is the Loch Ness Monster a ghost of a dinosaur? That would have been a lovely way to end this episode with, like, the most cheerful, like, oh, yeah. Not a de- another dead kid? Not another dead kid. If it could have been, like, we found another magic rock and it created another shopping mall mogul, that would have been great right now. Or, like, a ghost, but it was, like, an extra friendly ghost. Like, this ghost leads children to candy. Is it real? Like, that would have been great. But instead, we get this unexplained death. (laughs) Just a few days before Christmas, 
1981. Why didn't we save this one for our Christmas special? Okay, I have apologized. I can't keep apologizing for that Forensic Files <laughs> Christmas special. I'm sorry, y'all. I'm so sorry. It made sense in my mind. <laughs> it's one of my greatest boondoggles. Okay. The, so this case has really stuck in the mind of the Dallas County Sheriff's Department because uh, when it happened, they were preparing for their annual holiday lunch. At 11.45 that morning, Officer Ray Bard was still on duty. He was 10 miles outside of Dallas when he drove up to a car parked the wrong way on a dirt road with one door left open. The hood of the car... Yeah, the hood of the car was still warm, and when he looked inside, he saw a woman's purse had been left in the car, and he went, oh shit, I feel like a sexual assault is happening. I need to look around. So he um called for backup and then entered the near a nearby field that i think was like right next to that road where he thought like someone could have been dragged um i think is why he went in that direction (sighs) unfortunately when he enters the field he finds a small boy lying on the ground next to a woman covered in a blanket um they're both deceased uh the cop is very upset that she was shot so close to christmas and i was like well, that's not like a good time to murder her. But then I, you find out that the boy was Christopher, and it was literally his fifth birthday. Uh, and I was like, okay, that is like somehow extra horrible <laughs> that he was murdered on his birthday. So this was the body of Roxanne Jeeves and her five-year-old son, Christopher. Roxanne had moved to Dallas a couple years earlier after a divorce. She worked for an insurance company and she loved country western dancing. She was engaged to be remarried. It sounds like she just like got in this like new lease on life. You know, like she had really turned things around. Things were going well. It's so, so terrible. And yeah, Christopher Christopher had literally turned five that day. They were preparing to go to Kansas to visit relatives and were last seen loading up their car. The police located a neighbor of Roxanne. Well, okay, they were seen a couple times after that, actually. I should be more precise. The police located a neighbor of Roxanne who had actually spoke to Christopher as they were leaving their apartment for the road trip. The reenactment of this is freaking adorable. It's a little kid, like, dragging a red toolbox down the stairs of the apartment complex step by step because it's, like, too big and heavy for him to carry. (laughs) He was like, like, no, mom, I got it. I got it. I'm going to bring down this toolbox that I can't even lift, like, one step. What? Like, he's just, like, dragging it down. And I don't know whose kid that is they got from the reenactment, but he's freaking adorable. And the whole thing is just sad. So... That neighbor saw saw Christopher dragging his toolbox down the stairs, and then she saw a man take the toolbox and walk away while holding Christopher's hand, along with Roxanne and another woman. That man is believed to be the killer. Now, at this point, the reason they say they think that it's him is because he, quote, looked rough and didn't fit in with a complex. And I was like, mm. what a Liz. That sounds like racial profiling to me. But as it turns out, they actually got a very good look at who this killer is so that language is problematic but it probably actually was that dude so we the person that said that was some police officer he had a gray mustache i called him deputy annoying (laughs) i was (laughs) because i was annoyed with him at this part of the thing i was like oh really he looked rough so he has to be the killer got it um he Okay, so they're later seen at a gas station 
he's in the car with Roxanne and Christopher, whoever that other woman is, wasn't in the car. The gas station attendant said that um, this man was looking, acting nervous, and that was seemed to be based on him not making eye contact and just looking down. But he also even commented to a coworker that Roxanne was acting strange. He was reassured that Christopher was in the back of the car and was acting like nothing was wrong. But, of course, he's five years old and probably didn't know what was happening. This witness, um, this is, I don't even know if this counts as a stash. It's like he had a mustache. He shaved it off, but now it's, like, growing back in. It's like he knew he was going to be on TV. He was like, I got to shave off my mustache. I'm going to be on Unsolved Mysteries. But then he didn't take into account, like, how quickly his hair grows. So it's like... I don't know. It's called the barely there. This is on witness Donald Crawford. So he is the last person to see Roxanne alive. Half an hour later, they are both dead. Um, When the police backup pulled to this field where the bodies were found, they saw the suspect fleeing the scene. So I do actually think it was this guy that was seen at the apartment complex. It's just the language used to describe him is not great. Um, what I don't understand about this and what I find extremely frustrating about this segment is that cops pull up to this field literally with two bodies in it. Eight people saw this guy running away. Someone saw him hitchhiking, hitchhiking away from the scene of the crime. It seems like he had just dumped these bodies minutes before. Nobody follows him? Apparently not. Uh, And I literally wrote down, but the police are useless. Like, good thing they showed up to do what? And Robert Stack was like, well, they were busy collecting the evidence that might one day convict him. I was like, or they could have just gone and caught him. They are in cars and he is on foot. He was apparently at this gas station that he stopped at for like 20 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was going to. Yeah. Which I think this gas station was a minute away. So they could have easily caught him. Yeah. Okay. So five miles away, the suspect burst into a gas station and demanded to use the like phone employees, like the business phone of the gas station. And the woman's like, no, go outside and use the pay phone like everyone else. And he's like, you have a phone right there. And she's like, "Uh uh-huh. And you're going to go outside and use the pay phone. (laughs) So she distinctly remembers this dude because they had like a small argument about it. He's outside at that pay phone for 15 to 20 minutes. Five miles away. The police saw him running and hitchhiking. Nobody followed him. Eight people saw him. Good thing we have the police. Okay. He left behind a blue bag, which Robert Stack tells us is literally filled with clues, such as a pre-World War II era gun holster, a set of burglary tools, a toboggan hat, which is just like a winter hat. I don't know why Robert Stack <laughs> called it that. And a bottle of formaldehyde. Okay, I have no idea if this is true, but Deputy Annoying tells us that it was popular in that area at the time to lace joints with formaldehyde, and that was known as Sherman Stick. <sighs> Look, I don't know if that's true or not, and I'm not going to Google it. So, hey. That's why they suspected this guy was into drugs. Because he had formaldehyde with him. Okay, so this guy is even seen one more time. There is a witness who sees him running down a hill from the gas station. And a car that's driving by slows down, stops just long enough for him to jump in, and then speeds off. 
So the reason that guy remembers it is because he thought the gas station at the top of the hill had been robbed. He yeah. thought this guy was like running away from the gas station with like all the money. Um, strangely enough, the getaway car was a classic car with fins. It was a green not 55 Buick. That's so weird. <laughs> it's like, I'll just hop into this classic car and go down to the car show. Um, people called the local tip line to say, hey, you should really look into Roxanne's brother, a dirtbag. Um, and at first I was like, what? This doesn't seem again i was like i'm suspicious of this but then it sort of seemed to pan out because people were like oh you should look into roxanne's brother he used to sell pot and i was like whoa oh no but hmm roxanne had once had a guy show up at her place demanding to talk to her brother kurt because he apparently owed him a lot of money but kurt had joined the army so it seems like kurt was dealing pot had a lot of like outstanding debts and the way that he was going to get out of paying those debts was joining the army. The problem with that plan is that everybody knew that he lived at Roxanne's house. Right. So people were showing up at Roxanne's house trying to get their money. And she's like, look, I don't know what my dirt brag dub brother did, but he's not here now. And people were like, well, I'm getting paid somehow. So that's not great. Uh, Kurt himself was later murdered in connection to a drug deal. I think maybe two years after this. He insisted that he did not know who had killed his sister and nephew. <sighs> okay. Now for the update from Unsolved Mysteries. 22 years later, Roxanne, after Roxanne and Christopher were murdered, DNA evidence identified George Washington Hicks as their killer. At the time, he was already in prison for robbery and sexual assault. His sentence for the murders will not begin until at least 2024 when he completes his existing sentence. And I was kind of like, huh, they wouldn't have needed to do that if they had just followed him from the field. Ugh. Also, he like went on to hurt all these other people, right? Yes. So here's the uh, results from Unsolved Mysteries Wiki. Thank you to them always. It says unresolved. As a result of the bot broadcast, Tamira, Tamira Tigor came forward, claiming to have seen the suspect fleeing the scene the day of the murders. However, she did not know his identity. In 2001, lead investigator Larry Forsyth, Forsyth had DNA testing done on the hairs found in the suspect's toboggan hat. It just says hat, but I... All hats are toboggan hats. All hats are toboggan hats now, thank you, to Robert Stack. In 2003, George Washington Hicks was charged with Roxanne and Christopher's murder due to a DNA match on these hairs. DNA from Roxanne's rape kit. Oh, they didn't even mention that in the segment. Wow, it just gets worse and worse. Also matched him. He had been in prison in Texas since 93, serving an unrelated 80-year sentence for aggravated sexual assault and robbery. Authorities first tried Hicks for Roxanne's murder. Along with DNA evidence, his ex-wife and children also linked him to the notebook, sports bag, holster, and other evidence found in Roxanne's car. Several witnesses who had seen him fleeing, including Tamara, also identified him. He was convicted of Roxanne's murder in 2007 and sentenced to life in prison. Prosecutors put Hicks on trial for Christopher's murder in 2014 to ensure that he will never be paroled. He was then convicted in Christopher's case and given another life sentence. Oh, I guess this is being considered unresolved because we don't know who this other woman is that was seen with them in the apartment complex. I don't know that she's, like, even really involved. 
she no, she left right away because she wasn't at the gas station. Yeah. Also, at least in the reenactment, she had a black eye. So yeah. I, if anything, she's probably another victim. Anyway, as this is what Unsolved Mysteries Wiki says. As for the female suspect, I, I don't know about that. Hicks has never mentioned her, and she has not been identified. However, according to a 2003 article, investigators do not consider her a suspect. She is only being sought after as a potential witness. Blah, blah, blah. So it seems like they're not actually actively looking for her. I'm guessing she is another victim of his. I assume so. And he was convicted on for both murders. So yeah, I doubt they need to talk to her now. <laughs> right. Why would they? Um. Wow. That's where we end, everyone. Great. I'm glad we could bring this joy into your life. Uh, well, let's rate it. Yeah. Let's so do people that. know how great it is. Mysteriousness is our first category. Okay. We got a treasure. We got a lot of dead people. But we, we don't know a... where Lauren is. So that's a mystery. Yeah, that's true. I guess we don't really know where this treasure what happened to this treasure although it seems like we may kind of what know. happened to that thirty thousand dollar computer we'll never know well, we only think we know who did this actually kind of mysterious it's, it's more perfect. sad than mysterious but it is mysterious thumbs up yeah reenactments fine yeah they're okay um i don't know there weren't that many uh, reenactments in the mob mystery actually yeah we could have used more probably so sideways yeah whatever okay. that gets a shrug um fashion i did like some of the mob era flapper era oh, yeah. outfits that we had the like 90s computer dork fashions were pretty great um Actually, those were kind of good um, after that it kind of falls off yeah so i'm going sideways actually could have been better the sideways um and i don't were there noteworthy mustaches besides the barely there? I mean, no. We just have the barely there and then deputy annoying. And I feel like everybody I else. About deputy annoying. <laughs> and then I feel like everybody else with a mustache was a dirtbag. So I guess I'm giving it to deputy annoying as an MVM. I don't know. Because okay. it's not spectacular. It's just a great cop mustache. So maybe it goes to the barely there as okay. being something a little different. Guy who failed to shave off his mustache. Guy that knew we'd make fun of his mustache tried to shave it off and it didn't work. <laughs> and Robert Stack, I extra poetic actually. Yeah, actually, I think he did a good job. His his uh narration in the first one particularly was. If you want to spark his interest and get him to put down his bourbon or whatever it was he was drinking, you gotta say treasure. And then he's like, oh? he's like, suddenly you've got to say Elliot Ness or you've got to say treasure if you really want him there, one hundred percent. So, thumbs up for him. Okay, so we have our Robert Stack scale. Zero to five Robert Stacks. I mean, it's not like it's badly done, but I, I don't want to watch it again. Is that a no. two or a three? Yeah, well, I think maybe it's a three, just because it's not necessarily like a bad episode. It's, it's just, just sad. depressing, and we don't really care about treasures, so... Yeah, I really wish they could have lightened it up somehow. I wish there could be like, I don't know. Is this barn haunted by the ghost of a goat? Like something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I just made that mystery up off the top of my head. But you know what? That would be delightful. Yeah, it would. That they're like, I, we just hear this 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 specterly braying in the night. <laughs> <laughs> Every once in a while, you <laughs> <laughs> feel 
feel something bump against your yeah. Leg. yeah. Is that the ghost of old gray mare? Which is a terrible name for a goat, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> I'm losing it because this episode was so sad. It's terrible. Yeah, it's a three. It's fine, but make sure you like, I don't know, get your hot cocoa, get a blanket, but really like take care of yourself <laughs> to watch this because otherwise you're going to be depressed. Um, well, we're done with that. Do you have something to recommend? I do. Were you hoping we would skip recommendations again this week? I mean, I kind of was, but it's uh, a thing what? we do now, so. I could just do it. I've been meaning to recommend this for a while, but now we only do recommendations. Well, okay, now we only do shows every other week. I, I, it's been a minute since I watched this, but I've been meaning to recommend. There's a show on Netflix called Alice in Borderland that I really enjoyed and I'm eagerly waiting for the second season so that's my recommendation I I'm not exactly sure who I'm recommending this to someone someone out there will like it it is a Japanese show you know how like everything now is about like oh people have to like play this game till the death mm, yeah well it's one of those so why do i like it um it it has unexpected stuff to it i think it's like three friends they like go into a a bathroom and when they come out like tokyo is like empty there's barely anyone left and the people that are there are being forced to like play these games that are deadly in order to get playing cards and they don't really understand what's happening or why but i found actually the games which i would die in one second i would not solve any of these puzzles i would be doomed in this world i don't even know that i would try um but i found those really interesting it just goes some unexpected places and i found the like structure of the series kind of not predictable which i appreciated that i couldn't always tell what was coming unlike so many netflix shows i feel like are very formulaic and sure. I'm not sure that Netflix itself made this. Like, this was made in Japan. I don't know if it was made for Netflix Japan or I don't know how that works. But um, it just was less formulaic than I expected it to be. So I ended up really enjoying it. It just, like, the twists of it were things that I would not have seen coming. There's also some very attractive uh, cast members. Thumbs up to them. Thank you for all your hard work at being so beautiful. <sighs> Um, so I'm definitely very curious to like see where it goes because the way that the season went, I was like, wow, I did not see like any of that coming. I will say it's not gory, but it is bloody. Mm-hmm. And it's just to make a sweeping generalization, probably bloodier than an American show like this would be. Okay. So just something to keep in mind. If you don't like that, you're not gonna like this. Um, I'm not really an anime person myself but this was based on a manga so if you like anime maybe you would like this i don't really know but um that is my recommendation i can't really see you watching this samantha but maybe maybe you'll get real bored won't but uh it's interesting it's definitely interesting it um it it really held my attention which is not easy to do these days what is your uh, 
do you want to even do a recommendation or we should just move along? I, I don't really have a recommendation, but I do have a, a question. for. Okay, sure. Let's do that. I, I recently discovered, and Liz and I have talked about this already, that John Taffer has a show <laughs> on the Paramount channel, or had. I don't I think it's been canceled. What? How could they cancel such what? a masterpiece? Okay, there's. I think there's one or two seasons, and maybe there there was just a pause in filming for 2020. I don't know, but apparently he had a show on Paramount called Marriage Rescue. Uh huh. Because uh-huh. for some reason, John Taver is ostensibly qualified to save marriages. I don't know. Say you could bars marriages not that different. Um, <laughs> if a guy can come in, tell you you need to have less on your menu and that you need to actually like clean your business, then obviously he can save a marriage. I mean, butt funnels for bars, butt funnels for marriages. It's the same. I, I assume butt funnels feature in marriage. <laughs> Probably a, a different type of butt funnel, but you know, a, a butt funnel can save a bar. It can save a marriage. Um, should we try and hunt down this show? I think you can watch it on. It's on Paramount. I think they have a streaming. I don't know if, my, if it costs us any kind of money. We probably wouldn't watch it. But <laughs> listeners, patrons, would you be interested in us watching an episode of Marriage Rescue? Talking about it on our Patreon. I mean, I I hope the answer is yes because that sounds amazing. I feel like it's either okay. hilarious or insufferable. There's Could like you... not going to be an in-between. We're either oh, going to love gonna the experience of watching it or we're going to hate it. Okay, but can you read the names of the episodes to us, please? Yes, let me pull it up. Please? Because I know they're great. Uh, why isn't my mouse working? I'll use my phone. John Taffer... I can tell you how many seasons. Okay, there's only one season. And it was in 2019, so maybe it's not canceled. Maybe they just had to pause. Okay, there's only six episodes. Episode number one, which aired on June 2nd, 2019, is called Maybe You're Just a Horrible Wife. (laughs) How can we not watch that? We need to watch it. Episode two, You Married a Fool. Well... That could be applied to a lot of marriages. Episode three, your wife thinks you're boring. Again. Episode four, no integrity. Oh, that's a boring title. (laughs) This seems like a good one. Episode five, you guys are screwed. (laughs) Well, he's clearly really in there to save that marriage. You guys are screwed. Episode six, you're a freaking liar. Amazing. So, um. There's only six episodes. There's only. Pure gold. Six episodes. And wow. ParamountNetwork.com says John Taffer switches gears from rescuing failing bars to rescuing struggling relationships. Okay, I want to see the corresponding show, but with Gordon Ramsay, except he comes in and ruins a marriage by seducing the wife. <laughs> Do you think that's how this happens? How bad does your relationship have to be to say, you know what we need? John Taffer. Episode one's description says, after trying conventional therapy and failing to see results, two couples struggling to regain trust after infidelity turned to John Taffer to save their marriage. Don't do that. Just get divorced. (laughs) Oh, my God. It's not working. I'm sorry. Quit. Is there a phrase for, like, throwing good money after bad for marriage? Like, I realize you put a lot into this, but it didn't work out. Do not call John Taffer about it. (laughs) Cut your losses. 
I want to watch this. I'm trying to imagine what I would call this Gordon Ramsay show where he ruins a marriage. <laughs> it's called Marriage Hell. Can I or... sign up to be on the first episode? Yeah. He comes in and you, okay, the way your marriage is saved is if you re- you resist his seductions. <laughs> So your marriage is doomed, Samantha. I was going to say, there's no way my marriage survives this. (laughs) He just goes in and and just charms the wife until she leaves the husband. And it's called, yeah, like marriage hell or something (laughs) like that. Fox, get me a meeting. I can do it. Let's make this happen. I want 5% of the profits. Only 5%. How can you turn that down? I mean, yeah. It's obviously going to be a runaway hit. I assume most of the money has to go to Gordon Ramsay. So I'll I'll take a mere five for just the idea. (laughs) You've seen Gordon Ramsay yell at kitchen staff. You've seen him eat disgusting food. Now see him ruin marriages. (laughs) He won't tune into that. I would tune in. I would sign up for that show. Ruin my marriage, Gordon Ramsay. <laughs> okay, wait. That's actually the title of the show. <laughs> Ruin my marriage, comma, Gordon Ramsay. Explanation point. Incredible. Well, I think we have to end it there because that's a true high point. Um, yeah, you know what? We've got social media. You should join our Facebook group. Follow me on Twitter. I'm so bored over there. <laughs> yeah, we're on Instagram. <laughs> you. Um, if you want to be as cool as BD Wong, you will comment on our Instagram. That's what cool people do. Um, yeah, if you've got a spooky story, if you had a psychic dream, if you know a kid named Marson, <laughs> you're going to want to email us. Perhaps it's you, podcast at gmail.com. And you should also subscribe and give us five stars. I'm tired of saying all this stuff. Do, do all that stuff. Yeah. Subscribe to our podcast. If you want to hear us talk about marriage rescue, <laughs> you can give us a dollar and go over to our page, our Patreon. We have like over 40 episodes of bonus content at this point. It's such so, a good deal. Why aren't you signing deal. up? Are yeah, you bad with why. money? Well, Is that I mean, why you're not signing up? I kind of understand, but you can also fish the out of a mall fountain. Yeah. It's just a dollar. You can so. find it somewhere. Um. <laughs> Is that all we have to plug? Go find Gordon Ramsay and ask him for a dollar. I'm <laughs> sure he... <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he has cash on him. It's fine. Um, Yeah, that's, that's it, right? We're I done. So. I Can I just so. go be sad about this episode now? Yeah. I need it's just a the, little... It's the, it's the time. Little recovery time. <laughs> okay. Bye. Keep Keep cackling and keep barking, everybody. Bye. Bye.